Thank you very much indeed for the uh, welcome to the business school, uh, which I've been trying to visit for some time, um, and to welcome me back uh, to Oxford. It's very nice indeed uh, to be here. I mean, I guess that uh, um, following uh, my performance at the Labour Party conference, um, you'll be sort of wondering whether with this big crowd in front of me, I'll be able to keep my theatrical instincts in check, um, or whether this will be sort of politics, policy, or panto. Um, but I will uh, do my best to address uh, this very good audience with a serious uh, speech. Um, uh, actually, I've spent some weeks trying to decide what, what exactly the content uh, of a speech entitled uh, An Enterprise-Led Recovery should be about. Uh, and the answer actually came to me last week. Um, I, I was watching television, rarely, uh, and I was watching someone who uh, clearly has aspirations uh, to um, uh, govern this country. Um, no names, no pack drill. Um, <laughs> Uh, and watching his own party conference uh, speech in Manchester, I think it was, further clue, <laughs> um, uh, he was setting out an argument about government. And I don't think I oversimplify when I say that the core of his argument ran something like this. The problem, essentially, is government. Uh, too much of it, uh, the government is a check, uh, on enterprise, a check on growth, it's standing in the way, so let's get rid of it or at least cut it down radically uh, to size. And of course, it's not a particularly new uh, argument. Uh, in fact, it's a reheated version of an argument about what makes an economy and, and a society dynamic that goes back a long way. Uh, it was notably uh, the heart of the ideological thrust uh, behind the um, Thatcher and Reagan uh, administrations uh, in the 1980s, uh, which was essentially all about rolling back the state. But it has older antecedents too. It was the assumption uh, behind the Hoover administration's bungled handling of the aftermath of the 1929 crash uh, which was based on Andrew Mellon's uh, advice that the U US economy needed a purge, at the end of which, and I quote, enterprising people will pick up the wrecks. Mellon's explanation of quite why it was necessary to wreck uh, the US economy in order to give enterprising people something uh, to work on uh, is not something that history has recorded. But anyone who remembers the lost generation and the lost um, productive strengths um, um, in the wake of the British recessions of the 1980s and 90s will understand instinctively uh, why he was wrong as well as pretty heartless. What I want to do today is to take this argument uh, about government and the economy um, sort of as my text uh, I want to see how it holds up to some basic realities, uh, above all to the rapid acceleration uh, of globalisation uh, over the last decade and what it means uh, for our competitiveness in our own e economy, what it might mean, indeed, for an enterprise-led recovery. 
Now, in my view, to argue that government is chiefly a problem for enterprise in this country is not only wrong, but it is fundamentally to misunderstand uh, what enterprise needs in order to work. In a globalised economy, based on high levels of knowledge, uh, of skill and innovation, enterprise needs an active government in many respects. Uh, not a big state that gets in the way of uh, business, um, nor the small state that offers nothing but the kind of retrenchment that at its worst, uh, at, at our stage in recovery, would plunge Britain into a double-dip recession. But a smart state, um, working in partnership uh, with business that fosters growth as the answer to unemployment and debt. Not big, but activist. Uh, and today I want to set out what I think that means. Now, I'm going to have to skip over a few important points to get to the meat of my argument. Like, for example, the bizarre reasoning uh, that blames government for the credit crunch uh, and the recession uh, when it is only actually government intervention in the banking sector and a coordinated fiscal uh, stimulus that have stopped the private financial economy from tipping us into a prolonged global slump. Frankly, this looks more like a sort of pathological aversion to reality. Odd, too, is the implied argument that public spending uh, in an economy stands in an inverse relationship to economic dynamism or growth, when in fact some of the highest public spenders in the OECD, uh, the Nordics, uh, for example, also have some of the most open and successful and competitive economies in the world. What matters, of course, is where that public investment goes, I mean, what you actually spend it on, not the sort of quantum level. Now, even if we assume that the argument about the size of government is just a coded way uh, of talking about tax and the ease of doing business, it still doesn't stack up. We now rank fifth in the world for ease of doing business and first in Europe. Our corporate tax rates in Britain are the lowest in the G7, the lowest ever, in fact. Capital gains uh, lower than both the US and Germany. Income tax rates, too, amongst the lowest uh, in the G7. Now, I want to say at once and very clearly that none of this uh, defence um, of, uh, of government is to defend government for its own sake. I do believe in the value of what we do collectively as well as individually uh, in our society, and I make no apology for that at all. But statism, uh, a belief in standardised, mass-produced public services and the centralising instinct that says that the man in Whitehall knows best, and it still is, I'm afraid, still mainly the man, that these things are obstacles to thinking about the necessary role of government in a modern economy. Public spending, in other words, is a means, not an end in itself. It is not a good in itself, uh, as are the taxes that support it. They are a means to an end. 
there's no reason in principle why taxes should be high. <coughs> now, this is a room full of entrepreneurs and others, and would-be entrepreneurs, I hope, and I'm sure that your first piece of advice for government would always be sort of get out of my way. Uh, and I have some sympathy for that. The wrong decisions on tax or planning law or regulation can, of course, get in the way of business and job creation, and that is something we constantly aim to avoid and will never, ever be complacent about. Our ease of doing business ranking testifies, I think, to that attitude, that instinct uh, on the government's part. But when I was the European Union's Trade Commissioner, I was constantly struck uh, by the fact that the problem for most countries, lower down the development ladder, is not entrepreneurialism or enterprise. Uh, actually, they have that uh, in spades. You see it on every corner in market stalls and micro-businesses. What they don't have, in very many cases, is roads uh, and electricity or digital infrastructure and <coughs> complex skills and credit, which is the basis of a modern economy. What enterprise needs in these cases is therefore not government that sort of gets out of the way, but governments with the resources and the policies that help create and nurture an enterprise economy by putting those things in place. This whole idea that comparative advantages don't just emerge out of air, set in stone forever, but that competitive capacity can and has to be built up is at the heart, in my view, of development economics. So why are we so reluctant to use the same language when it comes to the economies of more developed countries? Um, uh, why is it that, these, um, uh, uh, what, that people are so reluctant to bring these ideas uh, into our own politics? It's sobering how much of the reluctance is actually simply ideological. Fear of sounding anti-market or backward-looking or retrograde, fear of the editorialists of the Wall Street Journal or wherever. But the fact is that capacity building simply means recognising that while the market is irreplaceable as the ultimate arbiter of what is viable in the long term, uh, here or anywhere else for that matter, it is also the case that industrial strength can be lost or never built in the first place for reasons that are totally avoidable and that have nothing to do with long-term viability and competitiveness and everything to do with the policies and the role of government and the state in those economies. Now, so just think about it for a moment, if you will. The high-tech entrepreneur who commercialises an innovative low-carbon technology has not usually thought up the whole thing from scratch and built it in her garden shed. She is building on technological education or perhaps the skills she learned in further education. She's drawing on the UK, the UK's science base. Uh, she'll need access to finance to support trials of pre-commercial <laughs> technology. And that means investors patient enough to sit it out while she gets it right. Assuming she can get funding to trial her product, uh, she'll often need access to the facilities then 
to do so. When she gets her company off the ground, if she wants to stay in the UK, she's going to be totally reliant on highly educated staff uh, with the right niche skills. Every time she sends an email uh, or uses her website to attract customers, she's relying on a digital infrastructure for broadband that is now as integral to modern, uh, modern business life as roads are. Now, these things are the basic capacities for an economy uh, like Britain that wants to compete on knowledge and skills at the top of global value chains. But none of these things, and this is the point I want to uh, stress and underline, none of these things are produced solely by markets. Not one of them. At least not to the extent that a modern economy needs. For a range of reasons, but basically because the profit incentives for individual firms are wrong. In whole or in part, they are built on public investment and the right kind of activism from government. So if your problem is growth, and in every sense Britain's biggest problem after the recession uh, is returning to sustained, balanced, low-carbon, deficit-reducing, job-creating growth, then the right kind of government is undoubtedly part of the solution, not the problem. Again, the risk of caricature means that it's important to be clear. Our recovery will be enterprise-led. It, it won't be government-led. The jobs and growth will be created by private enterprise and by private investment. But if and how government supports that enterprise will also be critical. And if I stay with my high-tech, low-carbon entrepreneur for a few more minutes, I can make the point uh, as well. First on skills. Both her own skills uh, and the skills of the people she employs come from our higher and further education systems uh, in this country. Those systems, more uh, even than they are now, need to be tailored to the demands of a modern knowledge economy. Producing people capable uh, of uh, managing complex systems and technologies and confident enough to innovate and to lead. When we produce our new frameworks for both adult skills and higher education uh, as a government, as we will do over the next few weeks, um, these frameworks will include new tools for tracking advanced skills needs and demand in the economy and new measures for incentivizing universities and colleges to work with business and industry in filling these skills gaps. We're also going to put a greater emphasis on routes to higher skills that can be built around work, flexible study, foundation degrees, and apprenticeships. Second, research. Our low-carbon entrepreneur will probably draw in some, in some way on the UK's huge public science base. Her company may well be one of the almost 1,000 spin-outs from university research that have happened in Britain over the last five years. 1,000. Many of them, I'm glad to say, uh, from here in Oxford. Actively tapping 
the huge resource of our research base to, give in, to drive innovation and development is now one of the key challenges for Britain, which is why in our new higher education framework, we will have a range of new incentives for businesses and universities to build long-term collaborations, both on research and development. We've also been putting new resources behind the work of the Technology <coughs> Strategy Board, which is a business-led but government-funded body that brings together government, industry res and researchers to trial and develop pre-commercial technologies. Through the TSB, we have funded a, a range of technology uh, incubator programs, including the biggest demonstrator uh, a program for ultra-low carbon vehicles anywhere in the world. We've done that. We have also funded a demonstrator facility for renewable chemicals uh, in the northeast of uh, England, which will allow both small biotech firms to trial their concepts in a way that they would otherwise simply not be able to do. We've committed almost three quarters of a billion pounds this year uh, through the Strategic Investment Fund that was uh, created at the time of the budget earlier this year to projects like this that are all about making sure that viable technologies get a shot where they might otherwise simply stay on the drawing board. Many of these technologies are linked to the low carbon agenda which makes investing in getting them across the line to commercial viability doubly important. My analysis is that these investments will pay back many times over uh, in terms of new jobs and new capacity in our economy. Now third, finance. Our entrepreneur probably learnt the hard way that investment capital for innovation in Britain is still far too much of a gamble. Perhaps she's lucky enough to have angel or venture capital support. Maybe she managed to crowbar some loan out of a bank uh, uh, near where she's working. She'd have to be pretty determined and very lucky, but let's hope she was successful. Now, I'm convinced, though, that this issue of finance for innovative and growing firms is not simply cyclical. It's a, there's a structural problem in the UK economy as well. But it is a structural problem that is going to be made a lot worse by the now cyclical risk aversion as we come out of the recession. Now, through the government's new innovation investment fund that we created this year and a new type of national investment organisation uh, which uh, we plan to create, we will have the capacity to create new sources of public seed capital to draw in private funds and private investment for startups and growing companies. Again, it's not government doing it solely by itself, because we ain't got the money to do it all by ourselves, in case you haven't noticed. Uh, we, ha we can put in the seed, but it, ha it depends on levering in much greater quantities of, of private sector funds. Now, we're also going to use the government's role as a lead user more as an indirect way of financing uh, innovation, uh, and that's by using uh, our public procurement programme uh, to stimulate innovation amongst smaller companies to enable them to tender 
more successfully for that procurement. Now, in all of these cases, I think that as a government, we have been disciplined and we have been realistic. We haven't uh, junked our commitment to long-term viability in an open market, which is the basic premise of business success. But we have recognised that the market can fail essentially viable projects or technologies, especially at the earliest stages of their life, and that government can make some difference to that failure or success, not in all <coughs> cases, obviously, but at the margin. We've also resisted the temptation to micromanage. We see a critical role for public investment, but have gone out of our way to avoid turning politicians uh, or civil servants into investment managers or technology pickers. No doubt, if we were going to be good investment managers and technology pickers, we would have been that in the first place, rather than politicians or civil servants. The deployment of resources is effectively managed by independent technology experts, like the Technology Strategy Board and Venture Capital and industry experts for funds that we've recruited to run the Innovation Fund. Now, let me say this to you in conclusion. These three examples I have uh, uh, used um, of, sort of infrastructure, research, <laughs> science, finance, reinforce a simple point. To argue that government in underwriting the enterprise-led recovery, which was my starting point, cannot be either dogmatic or complacent or a mixture of both. We should, of course, be hard-headed and critical about the role that government can play in building uh, growth, not least because governments have done it badly or short-sightedly in the past. The past does not serve us terribly well uh, in what modern government should be doing in the 21st century uh, in a, a globalised economy. But to be ideological about it at the same time, in my view, is a huge mistake. Smart capital is always going to look for the best return at the lowest cost. But companies at the top of global value chains, which is where we need to be in, in, in our country, measure best returns in far more than just cheap labour. They need infrastructure, they need skills, a whole ecosystem of research, development and finance. Uh, and that's where smart capital is increasingly going to seek out countries that know how to invest in that capacity. In other words, in a globalised economy where we are competing with other developed but also other emerging economies, whether it be China or Singapore or Brazil or India, the, the mix, what government puts into the mix of that competitiveness becomes just as important as the innate competitive strengths of the economy itself and what entrepreneurs themselves are able uh, to uh, achieve. Uh, and therefore arguing that government has no role here doesn't sound like a statement of fact to me. It sounds more like uh, an abdication uh, of uh, uh, responsibility. So everything I see about British industry uh, and enterprise tells me that the potential in our country is huge, 
as long as we get the right mix and the right balance of public and private activity, government uh, and enterprise. There is a huge potential waiting to be uh, unlocked and it is our uh, collective uh, challenge to work together in order to do so. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.